Shabbat Shalom. From wherever you've come, from wherever you are, Shabbat Shalom. I'm so happy to see all of you. Like Rabbi Ingber last week, I feel very humbled to be addressing you uh, at this time. For me, this has been a period of time where there are almost no words. The only thing I can really think of is Jonathan Safran Foyer's title, extremely loud and incredibly close. So, with your permission, I will begin not with the events of the day, but with the story of the Torah, which is often a good place to begin. And let's see where we get. So this week's parashah of Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah, begins with a crisis, a situation with which we are now familiar. Sarah, who is 127 years old, dies, the first matriarch, the wife of Avraham, and Avraham does not even have a plot of land to bury her in. He has to negotiate with his neighbors simply to find a burial plot. This isn't the situation we imagine for someone to whom God promised an entire country. His negotiation, although it is gracious and successful, signifies his immense fragility. After all the trials that he has been through, the first land he owns is not for planting, but for burying. Sarah is gone. His son Yitzhak has been silent since the Yakedah and maybe even has fled. His son Ishmael is in exile. In a way, he's lost almost everything. Avraham doesn't ask any questions of God during this scene, but we have to wonder who is going to be Avraham's partner if Sarah is gone? And how will this promise of Lechlecha, of going forth, of relationship with God, be carried forward? So apparently Avraham is thinking about this, and a few verses later, Avraham asks his servant, who has no name in the text, but in tradition who is known as Eliezer, to find Yitzhak a wife. Not from among the local women, but Eliezer is to go back to the land of Haran, which is the last country that Avraham lived in, to his brother's family, to take a wife for Yitzhak. And Avraham asked that Eliezer not bring Yitzhak back to Haran, which would have been the custom. This was a matrilocal society. This was a, where the, the daughters stayed with the family and the husbands married in. But the young woman must come to Canaan, where Avraham and Yitzhak have settled. And Avraham is convinced that Yitzhak can only find a proper mate from this family. And Eliezer asks, what if... I go there and find this girl and she won't come. And Avraham replies, if she won't go with you, then you are free of your promise. And this exchange has to set up tremendous anxiety in the minds of those of us who are following this serial novel of covenant. Because it seems that having this girl leave her family and come to a different country is entirely against the local custom. Right, after all, Jacob goes to marry Rachel and Leah, right, and he stays with them for a long time. So this is you know, a non-traditional marriage. No one couldn't really expect that she would agree to this. So is the whole covenant now dependent on a young woman who has never met Avraham or Yitzhak, and maybe never talked to God, 
and will have to go against her own tradition and be willing to leave her family forever. So is the future dependent on whether this unknown girl, who we barely know, says yes or no? And the answer to that question is yes. Someone else in the story now needs to say the ultimate yes. The future of the world is never the responsibility of one great hero. There is always someone else who needs to say yes. So the servant Eliezer goes to the city of Nahor. He brings a lot of camels. He brings a lot of wealth. He comes to the well in the city, and they should already tip you off that the end of the story is good, because in the Bible, wells always mean weddings, reconciliations, redemption. If you see a well, things are going well. (laughs) But Eliezer either doesn't know how to find Nahor's house, or he doesn't think that this is what he should do. He doesn't think he should follow the marital convention and show up to the family and ask for the bride. Instead, he sits down by the well and he talks to God, and he wants God to pick the girl. He says, "If if a girl comes to the well and I ask her to give me water because I'm thirsty... And she says, drink, and I will also bring water for your camels. Let that be the girl. And because this is a good romance, he's barely finished speaking when a young woman comes up. She goes down to the well. She comes up with her brimming full water jar, and that is the job of young women in the ancient Near East. And he asked her for a little water from her jar, and she lets down her jar on her hand and pours water for him and says, I will also water your camels until they are finished drinking. And this turns out to be Rivka, the grandniece of Avraham and the intended bride. When I was a little girl, I belonged to a reform congregation led by Rabbi Stephen Arnold, and I remember him preaching about this scene when I was 11 years old. And I can still remember him saying, these camels have just gone through the desert. Do you know how much water it takes to water 10 camels until they are finished drinking? (laughs) And Rabbi Arnold impressed upon us the enormity of the task that Rivka had undertaken, not only to help a thirsty traveler, but to go back to the well for bucket after bucket after bucket until these 10 camels are finished drinking. And now we know why this is Sarah's replacement. Why this character, Rivka, whom we have just met, is the one God has chosen to bring the covenant into the next generation. She is a person of uncommon empathy and uncommon fortitude, a model of chesed, of loving kindness, like Avraham himself. She is loving and brave, and that's what's needed. Rivka not only waters the camels, but brings Eliezer and his camels home to her mother and father's house. And he tells Avraham's relatives this story that I have just told you. He tells it all again in all of its detail. And he asks them to allow him, on the basis of this story, to take Rivka with him. And the family says, fine. Clearly God has arranged this marriage. This is wonderful. Great. We couldn't possibly disagree. But could she stay a while before she has to go? This is a very reasonable request. They're going to miss her. She's going to another country. They don't have, you know, they don't have an Amtrak, right? This is, this is it. You know, they may, if they see her again once, that'll be a big deal, and in fact, they don't. They want to have time to say goodbye. And Eliezer says, no, I need to leave right away. And they say, 
Let's ask her. And as a literature professor of mine once said, this was probably not the custom in the ancient Near East. (laughs) So that tells you something about Rivka also. So they bring her in and they say, will you go with this man? And I want you to hear the echo of Lech Lecha. Will you go? And she answers, I will go. The Hebrew word is the same as for Lech Lecha, go forth. Avraham never says, I will go. He just goes. It's Rivcha, a whole generation later, who is the first one to say, I will go. Because she hears within her the call to something she must do, and she answers it despite the pain and effort she knows it's going to bring. She gets on a camel, she takes her maids and her governess, receives her family blessing, and she goes. In reading Rivka's story this week, I can't help but think of the many volunteers this week who have said, Eilech, I will go who have poured into the Rockaways and Long Beach and Staten Island and the Jersey Coast, faced with a task perhaps even more daunting than drawing water for 10 camels, and who over and over again have said, I'll go. And I want to just quote for a moment Ari Hart, the coordinator of Uri Litzedek, a modern Orthodox social justice organization who has been very active in arranging volunteers in the last few weeks. And he writes, as we put out the call for volunteers, literally hundreds of people called, texted, tweeted, and just showed up to help. I worked with women and men, CEOs to children, from all faiths and from no faith. On one Facebook post at 6 p.m. Tuesday night about meal deliveries to homebound seniors resulted in more than 30 people showing up at the address the next morning. Someone in Georgia tweeted that a woman in Teaneck who was on her social network was running out of gas for a generator that was powering her daughter's breathing machine. Within five minutes, we got hold of a doctor in Teaneck, an Orthodox Jew, and within 10 minutes, he drove over to check on the family, who are, by the way, devout Muslims. They were safe and grateful. One of Uri Litsetek's volunteers while visiting apartment buildings was greeted by a woman crying with a baby on her shoulder, screaming. She didn't speak English, but she wrote down a note for the volunteer who promised to return. The volunteer went to the street, found a person who spoke Chinese and English, and translated the note. It turned out she needed baby formula. The volunteer walked the streets until she found an open bodega, purchased the formula, and returned formula in hand. Ari writes, I visited a 94-year-old woman and her aide trapped on the 11th floor of a public housing building. The elderly woman was confused, and they had almost run out of fresh water. The aide had been there for two days and needed to return to the Bronx because she had run out of her own medicine, but she feared for the life of her client if she left. She had no cell phone reception, no battery. The landline wasn't working. We were able to reach her son, but he couldn't help because he was bedridden with cancer in Brooklyn. With no other option, we used our phones to call 911 to transport the elderly woman to the hospital where she would be safe and the aide could go home and take her medicine. Thus far, the words of Ari Hart. This is Rivka in us. Rivka is not afraid. She doesn't act out of duty or of guilt, and she doesn't do what she's asked. She does more than what she has asked. 
because like the volunteers I just mentioned, she is bursting with chesed, with loving kindness, with that mystical quality that allows us to give beyond ourselves. She's energized rather than depleted by the opportunity to be generous. If you wish, you can think of Rivka as a character in each of us, the soul that gives us the possibility of endless energy and love, the possibility of saying Elech. The ancient philosopher Philo thought Rivka represented Sophia, Chochmah, the divine wisdom, that she was not only a person, but a representative of God's voice in us. And perhaps that's why the name Rivka means to connect or to tie. It is the part of us that is tied to everything else. The Midrash about her says that as soon as she arrives in Sarah's tent, all the miracles attendant on Sarah, the divine cloud, the Shabbat candles that lasted all week, it all comes back. I have learned how to say Elech for many people. And I want to mention one. One of my students from the Kohenet Institute, a woman named Josefa Strauss, had terminal brain cancer when someone in her AA group died. He was the most curmudgeonly person you could imagine. He had no family, and no one wanted to conduct the funeral. Josefa, with three weeks to live, took several hours out of her life and performed the funeral. And I think of that story every time I'm about to say no to anything. When we put aside our fear and our expectations to follow the unexpected call that we have received, often we are rewarded beyond our imagination. When Rivka arrives in Kana'an, she sees her intended Yitzhak meditating in a field, and she asks who that is, and Eliezer tells her, that is my master's son. That is your intended bridegroom. And she puts her scarf over her face, and she gets off the camel. Actually, the text says, she fell off the camel. <laughs> her destiny is so astonishing to her that she can't stand up. I wish for all of us that our elech moments will bring us to falling off the camel to being stunned by God's response to our willingness, to having our world open beyond what we could have expected before we said, I will go. This particular week seems like a crucial time in our history, although I know that all times are. We have gone through a very intense, incredibly loud and extremely close election, deeply divided, some in our country, and perhaps many of us, are glad and relieved and celebrating. And some of us, and some in our country, are angry and disappointed. And we will be living with that division for some time. We in this region have been through a disaster. Some of us are still going through it. We have come face to face with our changing climate and our changing world in ways that we never wanted or even could visualize. And we are now living with what might well be the consequences of our own blithe prosperity. And beyond these things, there are so many global crises to be survived and even solved. 
And none of this is easy, and at bottom, even with all the Nate Silvers in the world, none of it is expected. The future is always unexpected. And in the face of that uncertainty, we can only be grateful for every Rivka and every Avraham who is willing to answer the call and who is not afraid and who is going to bring us life and hope where it is needed. And so I pray that we, like the servant Eliezer, will find Rivka exactly where and when we need her, ready and willing to water our ten camels. May we locate the place in our own soul that says, Elech, I will go. Shabbat shalom to all of you.